Now I'm going to ask that you give your attention to our brother Mike Livermore as he gives us the words of exhortation. Brother Mike. Well, thank you, Brother Glenn. For our exhortation this morning, I'd like us to consider the story of the end of John the Baptist's life and the last year or so of his life as recorded for us in the Bible. I think we'll find some really powerful uh, individual lessons for us on serving God in any circumstance in which we find ourselves and putting God's will and obeying him above our own personal wants or, or desires. John really is a very powerful example of self-sacrifice and commitment to his heavenly father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the story of John the Baptist, I'm sure we all have some familiarity with it. We all know the, the basics of his life. We're not going to review and step by step each part of his life. We know the miraculous events of his birth, where his father couldn't talk for a period of time, and how John received his name. We know John's mission, his role in prophecy as the one who would come before Jesus and prepare the way for him. We know how John lived. He had a rather famous diet and, uh, and style preferences, of course. We know John's message, how he came to preach repentance and prepare the minds of the people for Jesus when he arrived in the nation. We know a lot of things about John the Baptist, but I think there's some really interesting lessons if we dig deeper into the events at the latter end of his life. We know that John was extremely successful in achieving his primary mission of preparing the nation to hear Jesus. But when Jesus had finally arrived, when Jesus began his ministry after his baptism, at which John actually did baptize Jesus, what then happens to John? What is, John, what is John's life lesson at that point in time? What does he have to teach us? I'd like for us to focus on this, on what happened to John and what John did after Christ's mission or his ministry began. Let's begin in John chapter 3. If you could turn there, please. Eventually, we're going to come to our reading today in Mark chapter 6, and we'll focus on that section. Let's begin in John chapter 3. And I'll just read uh, verses 22 through 24 to see how, how this began. What did John initially do when Christ began his work as well? So John chapter 3, and coming into verse 22, says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. So Jesus is working in Judea. Now John also was baptizing in Aenon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So initially, while Christ is beginning his work, he's in Judea, but kind of ramping up his ministry, getting the message out there and converting followers, John is still kind of working in tandem uh, doing his, his usual thing. He's still preaching, still teaching, still baptizing in a different location than Jesus. So John didn't just kind of go on vacation when Christ came. Yes, John fulfilled his initial purpose and his mission to, make, to prepare the way for Jesus. But when Christ came, John didn't just stop. It wasn't his time to relax and kind of tag team in, let Jesus take over. John continued on. John could not be stopped from doing his preaching and his teaching work. So, so John is, is still focused on helping others and being a preacher in his life. But he does mention, though, in verse 30 of John 3, these are the words of John. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So John is aware that at some point in time, this, this, this work that's taking place in the nation is going to have to focus on Jesus. It's going to have to star Jesus, and it's going to be all about him and his work of salvation. And at some point, John knew he'd have to decrease, 
But until then, John wouldn't stop doing the work that he was born to do, that being to preach and to teach and to convert. And that brings us to Mark chapter 6, our, our reading for today. Because, because John couldn't stop, he was so committed to his work and to helping others around him, there had to be an, another way for him to decrease. And that takes us to our section in Mark chapter 6, where we know what happens to John after a period of maybe a few months, perhaps even up to a year, of him continuing to preach. He eventually is thrown into prison. And so beginning in Mark chapter 6, and I'll say at verse 17, we read here, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So because of the things that John was saying, he's thrown into prison. And for a bit of depth on this, let's come to Luke chapter 3, please, just to get a bit more information on the things that John was saying about Herod and Herodias. It's uh, Luke chapter 3 and verses 18 through 20. So Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, this says, And with many other exhortations, he, referring to John, preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. So from verse 19, we know that John the Baptist was critical of Herod, not just for taking uh, his half-brother's wife uh, uh, as, as, his, as his wife, which was been completely wrong at the time, but for also for all the other evils that Herod had done. So John was a loud and a very uh, powerful critic, a public critic, of all the terrible things that Herod was doing. We know, for his, historically speaking, Herod was very corrupt. He was uh, basically a criminal in charge as the ruler of Galilee and was, was a terrible leader and did some really, really bad, indulgent things. And John criticized him for this. But that is not the reason, back in Mark chapter 6, why Herod put him in prison. There's a really interesting dynamic that takes place here. So back in Mark chapter 6, I'm going to pick up again now in verse 19 uh, of Mark chapter 6. This says, Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he, he did many things and heard him gladly. So this is really kind of interesting. You would think that Herod would have cast John to prison because John was a loud, public, uh, big advocate against Herod himself. But Herod actually, very oddly and uniquely, seemed to have a, a strange respect and fear for John and enjoyed conversations with John. And it was only to protect John that Herod put him in prison. It was to protect him from his wife, from Herodias. So what an interesting dynamic, and I wish we could hear more of their conversations. But what a powerful example to us that John, because of the way he was, because of his reputation, his integrity, the things that he said, a ruler who he was loudly and publicly advocating against and criticizing openly against to so many, that ruler didn't hate him for that. The ruler heard and respected what he had to say. And this is a really interesting example for us of the reputation and the integrity that we need to have in our lives as well. To support this, come to Luke chapter 1. Because we know in Mark chapter 6 that it was because of John's justness and his holiness that uh, Herod respected him because of the way he acted and the things that he did. But this was part of John's family and his upbringing. 
And there's a lesson for us here on family life. Uh, so Luke chapter 1 and verse 6, this is the events of John's birth. And we read here of John's parents, of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth in verse 6 of Luke 1, that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So John's parents, the way that they behaved was the same way. They were committed to being obedient, to being righteous, and to serving and obeying God all the time. And that's the example they set for John, and that's the way that they raised John to be, to follow after their example of being righteous, godly people. So what an example for us and our families as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to young people and to young ones, the way that we act, our character, is perhaps the biggest way to teach them. They, I'm sure they want, it's important to teach them and have them hear our words and to learn about God through what we say. But the way that we act, the things that we do, what the priorities of our life are, is what they really see and can benefit from by learning from our example and our actions. And so John's parents are this example for him to learn from their example. And so too now, the way that John is living, his justness, his integrity, his honesty, all the good works he was doing, the way he lived his life was an example to those around him. And even though his enemies must have hated him for the things that he might have been saying against them, they couldn't help but respect him for how he lived his life. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus just back in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So even if the things that we might say are going to upset people, we can at least behave and act properly and let our reputation and our integrity and our honesty proceed and be an example to those around us. They, we will at least respect us for how we live our lives and how we care for those around us. There's a really, a really powerful lesson there for us that we see in John's life and in his family. But still, how interesting that Herod did respect him and Herod did like to listen to him. And I think uh, kind of putting a bit of cre creativity in examining verse 20 is very interesting. In verse 20, how was it that John could talk so much to Herod if he was in prison? If John's in prison, you don't get to say to the, the, to the guard keeper there, uh, you know, I'd like to get out of jail for a bit here to go talk to the king. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen in jail, right? The king obviously was summoning John and calling up John. So the king was legitimately interested in what John had to say. It's a really interesting dynamic taking place here. But for all the respect that Herod had for him, nonetheless, Herodias, his wife, uh, just hates him and wants to kill him. And uh, there, there, was no, there was no getting away from that, right? But nonetheless, despite this imprisonment for John, there's a very interesting, uh, I think, fact taking place here in John's life, how he is continuing to help Jesus. Because uh, come with me to, uh, I believe it's uh, Mark, cha or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, we see that John's been in prison for, for some time now, and he's probably kind of itching to get out, right? You don't want to stay in prison for too long. And he wants to know, you know, what's happening, what's going on with Jesus, and why am I still in prison? But in Matthew chapter 11, he sends messengers to Jesus. And I'll just read the first few verses here, the first five verses of Matthew 11. This says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, 
The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus is out doing his work. He's out preaching and performing his mission. And John is in prison and can only hear what's going on. And I'm sure we'll get to later on onto these verses that Jesus takes John to in his response. But let's first see how John being in prison could have actually helped Jesus. Come to John chapter 4, if you will, keeping a hand here in Matthew 11. In John chapter 4, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, just before, uh, or maybe sometime while John is in prison, Jesus changes the location of his ministry. So in John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3, this says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So what's happening is Christ is building up a following. There's a lot of people that are taking after him. He's got this, this big this group following him, and it's drawing negative attention from the leaders in Judea, and the kind of enemies of Christ are beginning to amass and, and perhaps make things difficult for him. And so he has to change locations. He leaves Judea and goes to Galilee, where it's, I guess, assumed it could be somewhat safe. There was less opposition to his preaching. Now, why is that the case? Why does Jesus find a bit of relief and sanctuary in Galilee to continue his preaching for a big chunk of the middle of his ministry that he couldn't find in Judea? Well, perhaps it was, kind of referencing back to John, John being stuck here in prison, who nonetheless had the ear of Herod, the leader of Galilee. Perhaps John found a way to continue to make their way ready for Jesus by letting the leader of Galilee know you need to let, let this man walk amongst your country. Let this man have free reign. Don't oppose him. Don't get in his way. Perhaps John made Galilee safe for Jesus. He could find refuge there and preach there freely. That's all speculation. But perhaps it was what was John was continuing to do in Mark chapter 6 and here in Matthew chapter 11. The good things or the things that Herod was doing was, was perhaps inspired by John to make Jesus, to give Jesus a free reign of his territory. Oh, it's very likely, I think. But back now in Matthew chapter 11, John is asking Jesus, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And given that John, you know, baptized Jesus and knew that Christ was the Son of God and saw God come down and appear to him in the form of a dove and say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, I think John knew for sure that who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. But I think John is asking Christ, about the timing. What's taking place here? Are you the one that's going to come and establish the kingdom? Or is that going to happen elsewhere? Is someone else going to do that? I think John knew that Christ was the Son of God, but is unsure about what exactly Christ is doing right now. So the answer that Jesus gives him, I think, is helpful for us. Uh, we could briefly refer to the two passages that Jesus quotes back in Isaiah. So back in Isaiah, I'll paraphrase these for the sake of time. Christ references uh, several passages, but two of them are Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 35. And Isaiah 61 is all about a man with the Spirit of God performing good works. So Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And so this is what this chapter is about. It's about a man who comes 
and preaches. And Isaiah 61 is a, is a messianic prophecy of the work that Jesus would do in the land as someone who would come and preach good news and proclaim liberty and to give hope and comfort and consolation to those who were suffering. And Christ did that. So I think Jesus, by referencing Isaiah 61, is telling John, yes, I'm this person that's come to preach good things and to, to, to bring comfort to those suffering. But he also references Isaiah 35. And again, to paraphrase Isaiah 35, this chapter is about a future time yet to come, even in our day, it's a future time yet to come, about when the land of Israel will be changed and Zion will be changed. So Isaiah 35 and verse 1 says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose, so that the land itself will be changed. And the verses that Christ references are there in verses three through five. Strengthen the weak hands and make the feeble knees uh, firm. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And so Christ references this passage. And I think the message of Isaiah 35 is that yet this was not happening. Christ was not changing the physical landscape of Israel. This was, Isaiah 35 was, was yet to take place when God would come and change the land. So perhaps in the timing, Christ is telling John, yes, I'm the one who's come to preach good things and to change the people, but I'm not going to establish the kingdom just yet. That will take place later on when Isaiah 35 is fulfilled. And the message there at verse 4 is for the fearful hearted. Some versions, I think the NASB actually says the anxious hearted, which would have been John the Baptist, who was anxious for Christ to come and establish the kingdom and free him from prison. But Christ is saying that that's not going to happen yet, that it, that change will not take place yet. And so John gets the message from these passages that he's going to have to stay in jail, that Christ wasn't going to establish the kingdom just yet. The time was not yet, and John would not be saved immediately from his imprisonment. And so John has to stay there. John has to remain in prison. And we know what then happens back in Mark chapter 6, when on a certain day there's a certain banquet, and Herodias' daughter uh, does this dance, and the request is made to have John the Baptist beheaded. And so John dies in prison. And it seems like a, a real tragedy. It seems like a, a great disaster, and of course the loss of life is. And this was, was terrible for John, who wanted to continue preaching and teaching and be free to help Jesus in some capacity in his ministry. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, when there's a, later on in the chapter, all the anonymous uh, people listed who did acts of faith, there's one person mentioned who was slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Perhaps this is a reference to John the Baptist and his death, faithfully awaiting the fulfillment of Isaiah 35 and looking for a future time to come when he'd be reunited with Jesus. But in the meantime, he's stuck in prison, he's stuck in jail, facing imminent death, facing uh, no hope of freedom, at least in the short term. But that didn't stop John. Remember, John couldn't stop preaching when Christ came. And even being stuck in jail, it seems that John continued to preach and reach out and help people around him. And there is some evidence for this. Come to Acts chapter 13, if you will, please. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. So in the story of what's taking place in the early ecclesia, at the ecclesia here at Antioch, uh, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So the, the big names of this verse are obviously Paul, or Saul and Barnabas, but who's this person, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch? We don't know anything else about this person, except for what's here in this verse, and some would suggest this means that he was perhaps a foster brother to Herod, uh, this man, Menaean. But nonetheless, how would a person who was brought up with Herod, would have worked with Herod and grew up with him, and perhaps served him for some period of time, how would this man have heard the gospel message and become a Christian? We, we don't know, but perhaps Menaean, while with Herod, while spending time with Herod, who he was perhaps related to or grew up with, heard the conversations that John had with Herod. Perhaps he was touched by the things John said to Herod, and that would have pricked his conscience and brought him to Christ. We don't know, but perhaps that was the work John was still doing. Also come to, to Luke, if you will. Uh, Luke chapter 8 there's another person here who was affected by John while in prison. Luke chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. As you know, there were many faithful women who followed Christ, such as Mary Magdalene, and they were so close to Jesus, and they were so committed to Jesus, even more so than his disciples. They were there when, when Christ's tomb was opened on the first day after his resurrection. But here in Luke chapter 8 is the listing of these women, and there's something interesting here for us. So beginning at verse 1 says, Now it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? And there in verse 3, this uh, woman named Joanna was wife to a man named Chusa, who was Herod's steward. So perhaps while he was serving Herod, while he's with Herod every day, taking care of his needs and doing work for Herod, he would have heard, this man Chusa, he would have heard what John would have to say to Herod. He would have heard the message, would have heard the things that John said. And so while perhaps Chusa is stuck at his job, while he has to continue to work for Herod, his wife Joanna and their family conversations are excited by this message. They want to follow John and hear more of what he has to say, but he's in prison. Perhaps they were therefore turned on to Jesus. So hearing John's message inspired Joanna to leave and follow after Jesus while Chusa was stuck remaining and helping to serve out with Herod. Again, this is all speculation, but perhaps it's evidence that John, while in prison, while facing no hope of freedom, could have been despondent and just kind of given up and count down the days until his execution or his eventual end, he nonetheless is still preaching. He's still out there serving and looking out for those around him. He's still obedient and just, even while hopelessly caught in prison. What an amazing example for us. In any situation that we're in in life, and I don't think any of us will ever be in a Galilean prison, we could still find ways to help and to serve and to talk and to, by our own example, at least live a godly life and glorify God in that way in whatever circumstance of life we may find ourselves to be. I think it's a really helpful lesson for us on John, how he never, ever stopped serving. He never, ever went on vacation, never, ever gave up, said it's hopeless, look at my situation. He kept serving no matter what. And so now to transition to the example of Jesus, as John would want us to do, we come back to Mark chapter 6, where the end of John's life is a powerful contrast 
to something Jesus does immediately afterwards. So in Mark chapter 6 and verses 30 to 32, when the news reaches Christ and the disciples about John's death, they're obviously struck by it, and they take a bit of a time out to gather themselves and to spend some quiet time together. And that's in verses 30 to 32 of Mark chapter 6, which I'll read now. It says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all these things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So the disciples, they need a bit of time to recover and gather their minds to get back to the work. And this, unfortunately, doesn't last very long. It doesn't seem to be very, very long at all that they have this quiet time. Because right away in verse 33, multitudes come and need to be healed, need to be fed. So that the work begins once again for Christ and his disciples after this brief period to recover from John's death. But what Jesus then does is a really interesting contrast to what happens to John. Because Jesus then, in a sense, holds his own feast, his, his own supper, as he feeds 5,000 people and teaches them. Contrast this with the feast that just took place by Herod, where at that feast that the decision is made to execute John. So Herod holds a banquet for rich and powerful guests with too much alcohol and too much indulgence, poor decisions being made, hatred and pride abounding, young girls dancing, and all sorts of iniquity taking place. And at the end of it all, there's a death. Death comes, namely John's death as execution. But at Jesus' feast, at the feeding of the 5,000, it's for the meek and the poor and the humble and the needy. There initially isn't enough food to go around, but of course Christ provides. And everyone is full, and Christ teaches a message of faith to eager listeners, and he teaches repentance to follow after him. And eventually all are filled, and in John chapter 6, in the same event, a different recording, Christ says, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Christ is preaching of salvation, of eternal life, of freedom from death and suffering. Christ gives a message of life whereas the banquet of Herod ends with death served on a platter, literally. So what a beautiful lesson now for us to consider, that even the very end of John's life, in a way he never intended, is a way to prepare us to hear a message of Jesus as we contrast John's unfortunate death, where we see the wages of sin clearly as death by the, the acts of Herod. We now see in Jesus a message of salvation and a message of hope. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So perhaps the last lesson of John's life is for us to stay focused on the kingdom. We see John's example, how he was focused all the time on Christ's kingdom and preparing that and making that day come as soon as possible. And if we hope to be with John once again, and be there when John is resurrected to see Jesus. We have to learn from his example to always seek the kingdom and continue to serve our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes back to establish that wonderful day on this earth. Thank you.